So, my name is Eden. I'm glad to be here. And, um, you know, the weather this morning is just like home, so um, no biggie on my part. Um, I'll just do a really quick fill-in of kind of who I am or the roles I play. Um, my husband and I, Brad, have been uh, married for coming up to 32 years in just a couple weeks. And we have three boys, um, Stephen, who's 28 and six foot eight, and um, Justice, who's 25 and six foot four, and Dominic, who's 22 and six foot six. Um, so they, they opted for the longer, leaner version of their dad over mine. And uh, I don't blame them. Um, we have pastored uh, both separately and together uh, over 25 years, and neither of us are pastoring right now. Brad teaches, uh, and, um, and I manage our small business. So um, Brad gets to travel, and every once in a while I get to go along for the ride. So this is one of those opportunities that I got to uh, come along with him, and uh, I'm really pleased to be with you. Just for context of the story, I'm going to start with, does anybody know what a Mennonite is? Has anyone ever heard of a Mennonite? Did I see a hand? Oh, bless you. Okay, so I grew up as a Mennonite. For those of you who don't know what a Mennonite is, um, it was a, a, a faith group that started in the 1500s with the Reformation. Uh, there was a um, Catholic priest by the name of Menno Simons who... Um, uh, kind of veered off of, from the Re Reformation into uh, Anabaptism, which is um, the belief that we should be uh, baptized as adults on confession of faith. Uh, Mennonites are pacifists, so they don't believe in uh, violence or going to war. And, um, and they uh, focus quite specifically on the Gospels, um, the stories of Jesus in their... Um, uh, in their Bible and, and preaching. So um, I grew up in a Mennonite family, and uh, I, I count it as a privilege, even though I um, don't and haven't gone to a Mennonite church in a long time. But it's over 70 years ago uh, that my father, Jacob, came to Canada from the Ukraine as a refugee in 1947. He was 13 years old, and he was accompanied by his mother, Maria, his grandmother, Elizabeth, and his older sister, Irma, and brother, Ernest. As a young child, I overheard stories of my grandfather not coming home from work one day. This was um, all in the Ukraine. Um, he didn't come home from work one day. He'd been taken by the communists and held in an internment camp as an enemy of the state uh, because he had a faith, along with many other Mennonite men in this German-speaking village. I listened quietly as my grandmother, who I called Oma, told the story of trying to see her husband at Christmas of 1937. Um, she wanted to give him a bit of news. 
uh, a neighbor who was able to smuggle in letters to the prisoners at the camp passed on a note from my grandmother to my grandfather. Uh, he was able to pass back one little note. It was like the corner of an envelope and it had two letters on it. It said FW, which meant Frohe Weihnachten, Merry Christmas. Oma was 31 years old when she was left with her three children and her invalid mother. I would try not to move when she was telling these stories for fear I might be asked to leave. Just seemed like really grown-up stories to me as a young child. I knew I was listening to something really sacred, and I was always interested in hearing more. The stories continued, stories of paralyzing fear, surprising plot turns, and amazing redemption. Uh, my Oma realized that she would have to take her children and mother and flee the Ukraine. So in 1943, they boarded a train and headed for German-occupied Poland. She had to leave her husband behind. There they were, uh, housed in a village by a kind woman. Her husband fought in the resistance movement um, and was in hiding. And she had no choice to host my grandmother and my father and siblings um, because it was dictated by law that they had to take the people in. But this woman was very kind nonetheless. In January of 1944, the village was given a warning to evacuate as the Germans were retreating from the Russians that were advancing uh, very quickly. The convoys of the trucks and the vehicles drove through the village, stopping to pick up the fleeing villagers, but no one stopped for my father's family. My great-grandmother was an invalid. She had a bad hip, and she could not scramble fast enough to get on the back of a truck. And so, as the village emptied, the five of them were left behind. As my Oma looked around and realized that they were left behind, she just raised her hands and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? We all have life stories about our journeys with and without our loved ones. And as we struggle to find meaning in these events, I want to offer four passages, a progression that allows us to see a bigger picture than when we cherry pick just one verse from a passage or to prove a point. We'll see a trajectory, a learning curve that starts with the Israelites in the desert, touches down in the Psalms, meets the woman at the well, and then finally concludes in, in Romans. I share these thoughts because it's what we've been living these days, my husband and I. For me, this is not a theory or an ideology. This is the kind of truth that I can stand on, solid and firm. And I pray it will help you um, rise in your present circumstances to be able to stand to whatever life throws you. 
So we're going to start in Exodus 17. I'm not, you'll have to forgive me, I'm not going to read the passages because they're all some length, but they will be behind me. You're welcome to read them um, as they come up. But Exodus 17 is where we're starting, and it's where we find the Israelites in the desert. So they've been there for a while, and they've had some pretty amazing experiences. But today, they happen to be thirsty, and they're whining, and they're complaining, and wishing they were back in Egypt as slaves of a tyrant, because they're thirsty. They're grumbling to Moses, and they ask a very dangerous question. Is God here with us or not? The reason this is a dangerous question is that you're letting circumstances dictate whether God is with you. We all know life happens. Situations creep into our lives that might make us wonder if God has left the building. But it is the wrong question. And spending too much time giving it attention will likely send you into a spiral. So let's move to Psalm 95, which actually is a reference to Exodus 17. Um, so it, it presents the serious problem that the question precipitates. So let's have a look. Let's start with verse 7, where the psalmist references Exodus 17, and they've even got like a nickname for it. It's called the Bitter Spring Uprising. And you can clearly hear the frustration in the author's pen, and the frustration is palpable. The frustration is about their long, amazing history of miraculous God stories. Everything from plagues, to seas dividing, to food falling from the sky, but apparently that's not enough. They want a Slurpee on a hot day. They want water. And now suddenly in that moment, they are sure that God has left them. The final verse of, psalm, of that Psalm 95 makes it clear what's at stake. And it says, they'll never get where they're headed, never be able to sit down and rest. You know, it's not really very far from Egypt to Israel. As a matter of fact, it's only about 423 kilometers if you take the long way around. This journey should have taken 40 days, not 40 years. They couldn't get where they were headed because they didn't understand that God was with them all the time, even when circumstances didn't seem to point and reveal that. And when we forget our history with God, the times that his presence was very evident to us and instead get distracted by the wind and the waves, we sink and we spiral and we lose heart. And the most dangerous consequences of, letting God's forgive, of forgetting God's faithfulness to us is that we don't get where we're going and we never get to sit down and rest. The torment of believing that God has left us is enough to derail us and leave us without peace. And personally, I cannot afford that. Now we move into the Gospels, to John 4, 
and we meet a woman who finds herself having a chat with Jesus at a well. And he knows far more about her than she has offered, and she begins to see that he is no ordinary man. Again, the topic is water, at least on the surface, pun intended. And Jesus starts in about God's goodness. So I'm not exactly sure which verse this is, but if you knew the generosity of God, he says, Jesus is pointing at God's record, his history, his faithfulness, and his ability to meet needs on a far deeper level than we dare ask. So the Israelites were thirsty in the desert, and this woman is thirsty too. But H2O is not what is going to meet the need. That's why Jesus says to her in verse 26, I am he. I'm who you're looking for. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Let's remember that the Savior was to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And here is, his, is Jesus' declaration. God is generous. Look at his track record. And here I am, still with you. This revelation of God with us ignited an awakening in what Jews considered to be an inferior version of faith. That's the Samaritans. And when the disciples discovered this, they were really surprised. And maybe this is why Jesus said this right after. In verse 23, um, I'm using the message version, but all of the versions are just as strong in what they're saying. So this is Jesus. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will, know, will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who simply and honestly themselves before, are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Now, that was a red-letter passage. Jesus said that. And I'm not going to unpack that right now. I'll leave that for Matt on another day. But there is one simple takeaway here. Don't judge others because of where they live, what language they speak, or the name they have given God. Apparently, that isn't a big deal to God. He's interested in us on a much deeper level. So finally, we come to Romans 5, where we get some answers, where we see where we should be heading, the trajectory of living our lives with the understanding that God is with us regardless of how much a circumstance might try to dictate otherwise. So verse 2 explains, we throw open our doors to God. In other words, we quit asking the wrong question. 
We don't question if God is with us. We ask him to show himself to us, recognizing that he has not left us, but that we desire to see him here too in this circumstance. It continues. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Look and you will behold that he is right beside you, never having left you or forsaken you. And then we see where we will stand. Verse 2 continues. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting praise. That's a glorious destination, a place where there's space for you to be your truest self, to have plenty of perspective over circumstances, a place to ride the waves instead of being swallowed by them, a place to curl up with Jesus instead of wondering where he's gone. Verse 3 and 5, let's take it all in. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. That's how I want to live. I want to have lots of containers and lots of places for God to deposit amazing things in my life. And there we have it. When we remember God's faithfulness, his generosity throughout our lives, when we tell the stories and relive the moments when we fully understand or understood the miraculous wonder of God's presence in our day-to-day lives, we will not be deterred by the circumstances and the things life throws at us. We will let go of wondering if God is with us or not. He will remind us of the ways he has shown his presence in our lives, and we will open our doors only to find that he has already opened his door to us. I want to finish the story I started about my dad's family because my Oma's accusation was not true. Shortly after Oma's desperate plea, a German officer pulled up in his car and asked what on earth they were still doing in the village because everyone was to have been evacuated by then. My Oma explained the situation and the officer mentioned that there were a few army trucks being repaired in the village and that when one of them was ready to go, they would come by and pick them up. A few hours later, they were on their way, sitting on gas-filled jerry cans in the back of an army truck in the dead of winter in the middle of a war. They had not traveled far. 
The next city was only six miles away. But as they approached that city, it became clear that it had been bombed and utterly destroyed only hours before. And many of the people who had fled their village before them had been caught in that attack and were now dead. Oma did eventually get her mother and children to Canada after many more trials and God stories along the way. And I was right as a little girl, and I really like being right. Those stories were sacred. They held a weight to them and were significant to Oma's faith and ultimately to mine. And I want to lead you through a bit of a listening exercise before we wrap it up here. But first, I just want to tell you a personal story that is quite recent and still very fresh for me, and it has everything to do with this sermon that I wrote. So Brad and I went to South Africa to visit some friends and to do a bit of ministry. And during that time, I got an email uh, asking if I would take a turn preaching at a local church. Um, not there in South Africa, but in Canada. My first reaction was just a groan. And then the tape inside my head began to play. And you can tell how old I am because the tapes in my head are cassette tapes, just to be clear. Uh, the basic message that was looping for those two days before I answered sounded like this. Nobody wants to listen to you. You no longer have a voice. Better just be quiet. And then we went on a little road trip, a little day trip, just an hour up the road. And we stopped for lunch in this little valley between the highway and a wild beach with massive waves. And we turned into a dirt driveway and pulled up to a restaurant that could only be uh, termed rustic at best. The restaurant had open walls and a tented roof and part of the kitchen was just a fire with heavy pots boiling something I wasn't sure I wanted to know about or order. So I thought to myself, well, girl, like, you are in Africa. So we sat down on lumpy chairs and swatted flies while we looked through the menu. A young African woman served us drinks, helping with the menu and finding, finally took our order. I began to respond to something she had asked me, and mid-sentence, she stopped me, and this is what she said. I love your voice. I could listen to it all day long, something my kids never said. You should be on the radio. I would put it on and listen all afternoon. This is my God story. This is one of my God stories. This is God coming close to me. This is me seeing that even as I was still tentatively opening my door to him, he was already flinging his doors wide open to me. This young woman spoke directly to those looping tapes, those diminishing messages that I had been listening to for two days. And the kicker, this young Ugandan woman who I crossed paths with somewhat randomly on a trip to South Africa was named Blessing, so appropriately named by her mother. So I've shared this story several times. 
since we've returned because we have recently been overtaken by situations and circumstances that could leave us asking the wrong question and forgetting God's history and record of being there for us. Instead, I'm standing in a spacious place, a wide open space where God's love, grace, and glory allow me to stand tall and even shout praise. So I've tried, yep, I've tried to leave a little bit of space this morning to allow um, you to consider how this might affect you. I have some questions for you to consider yourselves and some others to ask Jesus. So first of all, I just, I just want to ask, do you feel vulnerable to getting stuck in the question, is God with me or not? If God is with me or not, and if so, what might that cost you? Can I, can I just say, when I go shopping, I see lots of things I like, but I have to look at the tag before I actually decide whether it's worth buying. So sometimes I can see something really nice, and then I look at the tag and go, I can't afford that. Do you know, we need to do that in our lives too, not just when we're shopping. When we let circumstances overtake us, there can be a significant cost to what we're allowing that to do in our lives. And you have to decide, can I afford this or not? And there's a good chance you can't. Don't go into debt that way. <laughs> so second question, do you have some God stories or instances in your life where you felt God's nearness to you, where you recognize that Christ is Emmanuel, God with you. Try to remember those stories. If you write at all, at least write down some points where you can um, remember the circumstances of what was going on so that you can tell others. There is something about our faith that is... Um, built up and can be solid because we share our stories with other people. And it builds their faith up as well. Don't forget, because that's what the Israelites did in the desert. They forgot, like parting seas and food falling from the sky and flames at night. Like, how can you forget that? But we do. When was the last time you shared that story with someone else? If you can remember one right now. When was the last time you shared that or spent time reflecting on it for yourself? And what is the fruit of remembering and sharing? That's where you build up um, treasures that you can afford circumstances that might cost you something. You really really need to share these. Uh, take a bit of time to recall one of your God stories. Try to remember the details as best you can. How did that change your life that day? And how does it change your life this day? What was God's message to you in that encounter? Do you know someone else who might need to hear that message? Tell them your story. 
remember the generosity of God and remember how close and present he is to you always. I encourage you to do that today. Thanks for listening.